Welcome everyone to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudaman. I hope you appreciate my new and improved introduction, which is no longer mired in archaic gender distinctions. Joining us from Singapore, he's here with half questions and half details. Darren Burns, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Arun. Maybe we'll talk about that amazing Virat Kohli press conference later on. And also here uh, from Hong Kong, joining us with a virtual fist bump or elbow tap, Toby Doman. How are you, Toby? High five across the miles. I'm very well. How are you both? Doing well. A lot of cricket for us to get through today. We're going to talk about the women's T20. There's a, a thumping defeat for India. There's a test series for England coming up. There's some meaningless one-day series. And then maybe we'll get to great moments in cricket drinking as well, which, from what I understand, Toby, you've been doing a lot of work on. Yeah, well, let's call it the last orders segment of the show. Okay. <laughs> Closing like time. It. Yeah. I Ring the like bell. I like it. I like it. Okay, so let's start at the MCG, gentlemen, where 86,000 people turned up for the final of the Women's T20 World Cup. I think that is the biggest crowd for a women's cricket match anywhere in the world. Definitely for a women's sporting event. Correct. For a women's sporting event in Australia. I think second only to the Women's Football World Cup final. Is that right? That's right. In 1999. U.S. and China, they got 90,185. They were just 4,000 short. I think it was, I blame coronavirus. Yeah. We'll get to the match in a moment. But first of all, the dancing cricket bats may may haunt us for some time to come, I feel. Yeah, you didn't like the pink bats? I was watching it with my daughter and she asked, why are there tubes of toothpaste dancing on the field? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Katy Perry knew where they were either. Yeah, it was, it was, it was quite an assault on, on the eyes, wasn't it? Or a visual violation, as my cousin would say. Casey Perry seems to be uh, a bit of a cricket fan. I know, I remember listening to her. Uh, I think she did some sort of Test Match special guest spot. I think Jeffrey Boycott has a very soft spot for her. So she seems to have a little bit of a cricketing pedigree. I guess that's why she was invited. There's a very funny quiz, actually. You can see on the um, on ESPN Cricket. I, I saw it somewhere on Facebook on their stream. She gets asked these cricket questions and she has to guess if there are cricket terms or not. And she does actually kind of okay. I guess if you're a Katy Perry fan, you might find it amusing. She's an inclusive entertainer. That's all we want from people. She really is. Anyway, enough about the uh, the pre-match festivities. I, w- I don't want to say the match was an anti-climax, but it wasn't much of a contest, which was disappointing for all the Indian fans in the ground and, outs- and, and around the world. It was a thrashing. I mean, Australia batted first, put up a, a very big total, thanks to some wonderful batting from Elisa Healy and, and Beth Mooney. And then India collapsed for 99. Did the outcome surprise you, Darren, given that India had surprised Australia in the first match of this World Cup two weeks ago? Yeah, I thought, you know, Australia struggled through and we didn't talk about the semifinals yet, but they, they just scraped, scraped through against New Zealand. They just scraped through against South Africa in the semifinal to make it there. But it felt, it felt to me, though, that just even before they came out, they just seemed more relaxed because they'd actually made it to the final. I, I think their mission was to make it to the final and try and break this 90,000 record. And they, they'd kind of almost done that. So it, it felt to me that they were already there. They, ha- they have so much experience in that team. They've won so many World Cups together. They've won so many matches that they seem to just relax. And Alyssa Healy just tended to play with, without freedom at all. I uh, was with total freedom, sorry. 
Uh, Beth Mooney was sensational as well. And they just seemed to really thrive in the environment where maybe India was a bit overawed. And to be honest, in that first game at the Sydney showgrounds, it was a real dust bowl and it was really turning quite a lot. And I thought the Indian bowlers and Indian batters struggled with that, with the MCG pitch, which was a bit, bit bouncier and a bit faster. So, yeah, they just seemed a bit overawed, the Indians, but the Australians really put the foot down and just, you know, it was a thrashing, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. I think the occasion got to the Indians. You could kind of see it in the body language from the beginning. It really reminded me of the 2003 World Cup, the Men's World Cup final, when not that dissimilar, India kind of rolled through to the final. In that case, India beat Kenya in the semi-final. In this case, India didn't even have a semi-final uh, because because uh, it was washed out. There was no reserve day. I think that would have helped them. They had not played a really high-pressure match in this tournament, and it really showed. This is a young team. It was their first T20 World Cup final. Australia's, what, what is this, their fifth yeah. Uh, World Cup win. The surface was quite different from anything India had experienced. And it really showed, I think, the pressure kind of got to, to India. Yeah. Uh, and none of their big guns had performed. Let's let's not forget, the Indian batting had revolved around a 16-year-old Yeah. playing her first tournament. Their, their big three of Smriti Mandana, uh, Harman Preet, and, yeah. and Jemima Rodriguez had not fired throughout the tournament. And that caught up with them. Uh, and Australia, I just think, had that big game pedigree. Alyssa Healy, I mean, just tremendous batting. You know, she, she doesn't need the boundary brought in. Uh, it's clear. Yeah, sensational. I mean, what I think one shot she played inside out of a cover for six was, I think they called it on commentary, was something you can see from Virat Kohli, right? I mean, those shots are hard to play for anybody. An 85 meter six. So she's powerful. She's good. And Mitchell Stark was enjoying it, wasn't he? The husband sitting there in the box with his beer. Because, of course, he, he withdrew from the third ODI against South Africa to be there to watch it. So that's pretty cool, I thought. But it was fun, wasn't it? They seemed to be enjoying themselves. I mean, the, the Indian team don't seem to be very a very cohesive unit as it is. They just don't look like a very well-gelled team. They look a bit niggly, to be honest. And the Australians seem to enjoy the environment, right? They're not as well-trained. I mean, you can see the difference in fielding. The Indian team's fielding has improved a lot over the last year, but, you know, they shelled two really important catches. They put down Alyssa Healy on... In the power play. Right, in the power play, they put down Alyssa Healy on nine. I mean, that that you've got to feel for Shafali Varma, by the way, 16 years old. I did feel so. And uh, she drops, drops Alyssa Healy in the third over uh, and then is out on a second ball, I think, or third ball really got to her and I think the Australian players were saying she's got to learn to hide her feelings but that's a bit easier said than done when you're 16 years old yeah totally and, and, and not just the fielding I think the Indian players fitness um was was not as good as Australia and, and it was interesting after the tournament Sunil Gavaskar um came out and said you know we, they've got to start an IPL for women and he said this last time when India lost the the one day world cup in 2017 they, they don't play uh, enough competitive cricket Indian women. And so yeah, I think it's going to be a One problem. thing about the BBL, I'd say how it's leading the way, uh, Australian cricket in general, but they do come and play. So Harman Preet and those people come and play in the BBL every year. I think New Zealand players and English players come and play. So it's a much more international tournament. And I think if they can bring that to the IPL, a real women's IPL, that'd be pretty cool as well, right? Totally. It, it, the other thing I think to bear in mind is this is a young team. The average age was 22 for India. And they had they ended up with two 16-year-olds on the field. I mean, it literally was women against girls. 
but you know it should give india some some hope for the future i think that that uh, if they can keep this team together then hopefully they can get over this this kind of barrier the the only other thing i i will say about the tournament is i thought it was a bit harsh on england not getting a semi final because i think they were kind of getting into form I would not have favoured India against them in the semi-final, actually. I think I agree. I think England would have probably gone through. Yeah, it was very unfortunate. And amazing that, you know, later in the day in the same venue, they got a game in against with Australia and New Zealand. And sorry, Australia and South Africa got the game in, right? Super unfortunate for England. Yeah. Toby, did you want to say anything about the England performance at the World Cup? Overall, I think just the point about the the lack of reserve day, I think, was just something that organisers need to obviously a bit of soul searching about i have to say overall though as england sporting teams have benefited from a sort of operational uh issue shall we say this uh, last year then i think that's probably we were due a bit of a bit of a bad luck but yeah uh, it's it's unfortunate and i guess it's it's how the cookie crumbles sometimes but they're obviously a developing side and and, and potentially would do better in that format i think next time around so it's, a, it's not all bad i think three of them featured in the kind of players of the tournament right from england as well so nats give a of course, uh, Heather Knight. Heather Knight is excellent. And Sophie Eccleston, right? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, Also featured yeah. in that top six. So, so again, they, they featured heavily. I think it was, you know, it was totally unfortunate. It was really sad to watch them watching the rain. So, yeah, unfortunate, but that's the way it goes. Do they have reserve days in the men's World Cup ODIs? Do they? I don't think they I do. I thought so. I, th- I thought they did. No, I think they just... They, 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 yeah. I don't know, actually, I don't know. I'm sure they don't. Pretty maybe sure they, they don't. don't. Actually, the yeah, maybe they off. just they just play a they have like a one ball hit off or something. Yeah, or something ludicrous. Coin. Yeah, maybe they Boat don't. Race. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they get the um, the Bacardis out. I mean, it's it's quite you know Mitchell Stark and Alyssa Healy. They really are the the power couple of cricket. They are the, they are the first couple, and and she's Ian Healy's niece. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Wow. So you think you think about how Mitchell Stark started the. You know, the 2016 World Cup final at the MCG with the ball, you know, picking up, I think, Brendan McCullum in the first over. And then how Alyssa Healy started the Australian reply too. It was quite amazing. The power couple of cricket indeed. Royalty. They're the Sussexes. <laughs> they are. They are. They really are. Yeah, you'll never see that again. They're like the Jay-Z and Beyonce. <laughs> they are. Of the cricket yeah, world. They really, really are. Yeah, I mean, you'll never see that again. Two, a, a, a married couple who have both won World Cup finals with their individual performances. I mean, how rare is that? It's unbelievable. Just going back to South Africa for a minute. I mean, I mean, they have never won a semi-final at a men's or women's World Cup in any format. It's shocking, isn't it? And they had a cruel post. I think ESPN Cricket had a really cruel post saying <laughs> which match was the most heartbreaking and they put photos of like, you know, 12 games. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a South Africa friend, it must be heartbreaking. <laughs> it's terrible, right? I can feel the C word coming on here. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one for them. All right. Well, if we're done with the World Cup, we can just hop over to to New Zealand, where we should probably provide our final thoughts on the India-New Zealand series, where, if you remember, the last time we did a podcast, India were down one nil. We're about to take the field at Christchurch. They were handily defeated in the second test by New Zealand. Handily? Uh, Handily. And uh, it was uh, India's third poorest test series ever. 
A really good win for New Zealand. It was a very interesting pitch, I thought, Christchurch. A lot in it for the bowlers, plenty in it. It was very green, wasn't it? Very green. But that's, that's the way it goes. I'm not sure I'd call it a vegetable patch, but uh, I don't think it was far off. But India couldn't cope either way. And um, just interesting thing about this series, I don't know if you guys have seen the parallels between this 2020 series, India Tour of New Zealand, and the 2002 India Tour of New Zealand. Both of them, India lost 2-0. Both tosses were won by New Zealand. Both of them were on, on very green pitches. The result margins on both tours, so in 2002 were 10 wickets, 4 wickets. In 2020 were 10 wickets, 7 wickets. In 2002, the top score was Mark Richardson with, with 89. This year, it was Kane Williamson with 89. India's runs per wicket in 2002 were 13.37. This year it was 18. India's captain in 2002, Saudav Ganguly, averaged 7.25. Virat Kohli averaged 9.5 this year. And then, as if all that wasn't enough, in 2002, New Zealand handed a test cap to Jacob Oreb, six foot six inches tall, all-rounder. In 2020, it was six foot eight inch Kyle Jameson who made his <laughs> test debut. I mean, that's just... That's so random. You've really been doing your homework, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. The only thing, I, the only good thing from this is that after that tour, India went to England and won a series. But somehow I don't see that happening this time around. Anyway, it was a really bad. It was a poor series for India. Kohli second worst with the bat. He was really honest. He said that the batsmen were too worried about the pitches. He also said a few more things about in, in the press conference, Darren. He was feisty, wasn't he? Right, doesn't doesn't like to be challenged, does he? he? He apparently he told the crowd to f off, right, when he was dismissed, or was he talking to his? Is it a broken bromance? So have Coley and Kane kind of broken up? Are they sort of on bitter terms right now? And who was he telling to f off? Was he telling Ravi Shastri, or who was he talking to? Was he talking to the crowd? <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> it was quite feisty. Yeah, but he he did have a bit of a Ravi response, didn't he? He was getting a lot of stick from the crowd. And he told them to F off. The Kiwis are so sweet. Mm, I don't know. I, you hear quite some pretty, you know, I don't know. You hear some pretty, I think the New Zealand crowds get pretty feisty as well. Really? From what I, what I, yeah, I've, I've heard of fights breaking out. One of my friends actually once told me the worst day of his life was watching a cricket match in New Zealand. Really? Yeah. Where was that? He said, I think it was in Auckland, actually. I'm not sure. But he said it was just awful, the, the level of drinking and, and then the violence that followed. Wow, um, that's not cool. I think in this case, it was actually pretty good-natured. Cody did tell them to F off, but then later on, he was seen joking with the crowd. Someone at the press conference asked him about it, and he said, don't come to me with half details and half questions. <laughs> you don't know what happened. Yeah. Now F off. <laughs> Which, frankly, I think we can all get behind as a mantra for these, for these uncertain times. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so bad series for India. Uh, Darren, anything more you wanted to say about New Zealand's Impressive performance, Tim Southey winning player of the series. Yeah, I mean, there were typical New Zealand wickets, right? Especially the second one. A lot of seam around. Uh, they bowled to their strengths. They batted well. Um, yeah, India just seemed, the batsmen seemed, they played a long way outside off stump. I couldn't believe it. Coley was feeling for the ball like two feet outside off stump. On a moving wicket, you can't do that, right? And all of them are guilty of trying to feel bat on ball. And this happens in England a lot with Australian batsmen. Right? They try and feel for the feel for the ball, right? And you always get nick-offs and caught behind. That's how it proved. I couldn't believe the batting at some point. Like, I just don't know what Coley was doing. He was wafting outside off stump when the ball was seeming around and, and swinging. It's a suicide mission, basically. It was really surprising. 
So I think, that, like as Coley said, they really, really got into their heads. I think. Yeah, I think Coley. He they showed there was some interesting stuff on TV where they showed the technical adjustments he'd made in the second test to counter this, and he he was actually reaching less. But then he got this this, this amazing delivery from from your favorite CDG Toby. I mean, that was just an amazing ball pitched outside off off stump, and then and pinned him. He got the inducker that pinned him in front. So. It was, it was really not much he could have done about it. But I felt like the Indian batsmen didn't really have any good plans. They were too defensive in the first test, and then they tried to attack too much in the second. They just looked ill-prepared. Yeah. I think they, they just weren't sure how they were going to play. Like, are they going to, you know, if you look at Smith in England last year, right, he left a lot of balls, right, outside off stop. They tried to sort of drag him outside. He left a lot of balls. They seemed to be not patient enough to do that. They seemed to want to hit the ball all the time. Counted a bunch of batsmen, especially in the first, the first dig. You know, Pajara, I think, sure. They play, they played strange shots that just weren't on, really. Yeah, not many, not really many bright spots for India, I'd say. I mean, I don't think any of their batsmen really emerged from this series uh, in any credit. I think um, Ravindra Jadeja performed well, took an amazing catch, one for, one for the ages, and he came out with his reputation enhanced. Uh, Jasprit Bumrah seemed to be improving, as did Mohammad Shami, but he's now injured. Not so not not much for for India to be happy about from this series. But Harry showed glimpses too. So did Prithvi Shaw. He did, yeah, he did. He's a bit of a James Vince. He's kind of the James Vince of India at the moment. I think he looks good for a while. It's really faint praise. Vihari scored a Test century. I'd like to remind you. Beautiful cover driver. <laughs> James Vince almost scored a hundred in the Ashes in Australia, right? In that first match. Yeah, he scored at ninety odd, didn't he? Eighty five, ninety. He got, got close. Anyway, on that note, let's go to Sri Lanka, where Mickey Arthur has made it very clear, Toby, that England are going to face a tough series in Sri Lanka. Yeah, tough talk from from Mr. Arthur. And it's just worth noting, actually, that Mickey Arthur was in the running for uh, for England coach uh, before the appointment of Chris Silverwood. So I, I wonder if there's a little bit of needle in there just to show Ashley Giles what he's missing. The... Uh, Mickey Arthur's definitely got England in his sights for this one. Um, we'll start with Sri Lanka, and I think there's so there's just it's a two a two test series is kicking off next week in Gaul. We're followed by a, a, a second and final test in Colombo at the Sinhalese Sports Club. And Sri Lanka's really uh, the, the the main selection sort of bright spot for them is the re-inclusion of Casal Pereira, the hero of Durban, 153, uh, winning Sri Lanka, that famous test in South Africa. Who knows, Mickey Arthur may have been watching that and sort of marked him up for a, a test return. He didn't travel on their recent tour in Zimbabwe, but he, he's probably the, the the most sort of exciting inclusion. And you've obviously got the old warhorse Angelo Matthews, who's still in and around the squad. Obviously, people, when they go to Sri Lanka, they say it's a, it's a spinner's paradise there are rumours that it's actually not going to be the case and that, that there must be something in it for the seamers. So it will be interesting to see the state of the pitch in Gaul. For England, they've brought three spinners with them. They have a less potent spin attack than when they were in Sri Lanka, which is only 14 months ago, which is quite a surprise that this has come around so quickly. It, feel, it felt like they were there last year, right? It didn't feel long ago that there was a tour on there, right? Bit bit weird. Usually you see them coming around every five years, a Sri Lanka uh, tour, but there's... Like London buses, there's two in 14 months, etc. So, yeah, they've got... The Barmy Army seemed to like it there, right? 
Love it, yeah. I mean, you look at the look at the pictures of uh, Gaul. It's basically um, lads from Sheffield with their tops off on the uh, on the Dutch fort walls. But haven't so, they been yeah. um, complaining about the prices? The Barmy Army, price yeah, gouging. Price gouging. That's right. And I think last time there was a, a stories circulating that hotels are double booked to the point where actually uh, guests were kicked out of a hotel where the England team were booked to stay. So, a bit of an issue. I there. remember that. So. Um, you mentioned the England spinners. Obviously, England have lost Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid. I, I don't know what's happened, whether I've missed something here. Why are they not playing? Well, Moeen is still cryptically unavailable, which is the, the line coming out of uh, the ECB. He's playing in the Pakistan Super League. Yeah, enjoying himself. Yeah, uh, he's still very highly regarded, I think, in the setup. And I think that the management want to cotton wool him and get him back into some sort of shape. But it's it's a bit odd because Jack Leach now finds himself as the senior partner in the spin department after a you know single figure number of tests um he's backed up by the young lad from uh, lancashire don bess yes so don bess and then uh, matt parkinson that's right Parko. so pretty young green and they've gone with the same uh sort of three spin attack as they did when they were successful last time there was he's touring. a leggy right yeah so they've got a left left arm finger spin and leg so they've got all the sort of all the bases covered, but they are very green and they're not an upgrade on England's last spin unit that won there. The uh, the other interesting thing is um, Sri Lanka's spin options, which uh, sound kind of interesting. Mickey Arthur has been uh, talking up this uh, this new player, Wanindu Hasaranga, 22-year-old leg-spinning all-rounder who's uncapped. And he's, I think he's played 27 white ball matches uh, Mickey Arthur said he's very special. He's got the top spinner, the googly. He's he's batted decently in a T20 as well. Mickey Arthur has actually said he's in the 10 most valuable cricketers in the world right now. Wow. Whoa. That's a big call. It's a big call. It? It's a big call. And that's just one of the spinners. There's three others. There's, um, we know Dilruan Pereira, of course. There's Lasit Mbuldenaya, who's been around a while uh, and gives the ball a big rip. And then there's Lakshan Sandakan. All of them have been named in the squad, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I think Sri Lanka, the, the only issue with Sri Lanka is they may well be undercooked. I think they've only had two tests, home tests, since England were last there, which is a, a pitiful amount of home test cricket to play. So it's kind of back to basics for them, potentially. And it's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough start for Mickey Arthur. Yeah. What's your, um, what's the preview then? It's two tests, right? What are we thinking? Is it two tests? Yes, just two. I, I, thought, I think England, there, there was a, a warm-up match last week. I think uh, it looks like uh, Zach Crawley and Pope both scored in 91 and 77, respectively. I think if they get into the runs, and Keaton Jennings is back as well, who's a very good player of spin when he uh, sort of broke into the scene in Sri Lanka last time. Yeah, his, his average in Sri Lanka apparently is, is really high because he's only played one innings there. <laughs> this, this was actually like they used this in the, the ECB press release or something. They actually mentioned <laughs> his, his average. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think they could end up being just too much for a, an inexperienced Sri Lankan side. But let's see if the pitches. Are... I think Josh Butler scored some runs too on that tour game, didn't he? he? He needs to score some runs, right? I think he scored a seventy or eighty. Yeah, I think uh, John, Johnny Bairstow is watching this, by the way, and thinking, what does what does what does he have to do to get dropped? Because Bairstow has been dropped as reserve keeper and then reserve batter. And, and Butler seems to be uh, given a different ride. So let's see. So you're going with 2-0 to England, Toby? I'm going to go 1-0 England with a weather-affected draw. All right. You you are going. You are actually <laughs> going to take on Mickey Arthur. It's a brave man. Darren, what's your call? Yeah, you'd, you'd think England would get through. 
the series. I don't know. I'm going to call it one all. I just want Sri Lanka to do something. Mickey Arthur, come Mickey. I'm going to go two nil Sri Lanka. Well, there we go. Well, first of all, I believe so much in Mickey Arthur. Ever since Homework Gate, I feel like you believe in his top his top ten uh, call. Everything his top ten call. I believe in his in the homework he sets players. You know, all of them. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of his coaching methods. You are a big fan of homework. But actually, I just think it's going to be an ordeal by spin. And I know England have got some really good batting talent. I just wonder if this tour has come a little bit too early for some of them. Sri Lanka on home soil will be a tricky propos- proposition for any team, really. So yeah, I'm going to go with 2-0 Sri Lanka. And we'll, we shall see what happens, I guess. That we shall. Okay, right. What's next? We have some meaningless one-day series to perhaps discuss. Oh, India. God, do have to? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, India It's kind of a strange period, isn't it, after, after the ODI World Cup to have these. It's almost like the bottom, of the, the bottom of the whole cycle. Everyone's working out what their teams are. And, and to be honest, everyone's really focused on the T20, final, uh, T20 World Cup happening this year in Australia. So nobody really cares about it. There are all these stupid WTF kind of three-match series that, you know, I'll, I'll kind of tune into maybe and have a look at, but nobody really watches or really cares about. They don't mean anything. It's really pointless. And I really think India are playing way too much cricket, honestly. Oh, Australia too. I think they're just exhausted. They're flying around here and there. It's just like, what's the point of it? They're having this ODI series against New Zealand towards the end of March, which is full on rugby, AFL, rugby league season. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to watch it. No one's going to turn up to the games. Uh, it's it's farcical, really. I saw Michael Clark making some comments about that, just saying it's it's token cricket. And and Trent Bolt seems like a lovely chap, and I don't think he's got a you know, bad bone in his body. But he was a little bit upset with that, uh, with uh, Pup's comments about there being a waste of time. So it, it means it means something to some people. I think if they're fighting for their place or they're trying to regain fitness, I guess. But for others, it's it's a waste of time. I just think you look at, for example, I mean, India are hosting South Africa for a one-day series starting, I think, tomorrow. You know, they're shoehorning it in before the IPL. It just it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, there are, there are good reasons for some of the players. India are welcoming back um, Hardik Pandya is returning yeah. for the series. Uh, Shikhar Dhawan is back uh, before his next freak injury. And there's one more player returning. Bhuvneshwar Kumar is also coming back. Speaking of South Africa, you know, there was a white ball series just there. So Australia won 2-1 in the T20s. Uh, and then they, they lost 3-0 in the ODI series, which kind of surprised me quite a bit. And they do have a few fines there. You know, Ngidi has come back and he's strong. He's, he's gone from, going from strength to strength. I think he's the fastest to 50, 50 ODI wickets. Yeah, they look quite a good, quite a good uh, ODI unit. Maybe they peaked too late or too early. Henrik Klaassen? Henrik Klaassen scored 100, yeah. Yeah, he did well as well. Yeah, um, they're going to struggle in India, though, I think, because they're without, um, they're without Rabada and they're without, they're without Shamsi. Oh, really? Why is Shamsi yeah. not touring? They're both injured. That's strange. Oh, they're, are they on your route? Yeah, they're both injured. So it's going to be Ngidi and Filiquayo and Nortier. Nortier looked quite good, too. He's quite sharp. Yeah, Nortier looked good. Maharaj has been picked, for the, I think, for the first time for the one-day team. And then the batting really is, you know, Klassen and de Kock. But anyway, anyway, let's move on. Right, before we get to last orders, can I ask the two of you whether you are aware of the Road Safety World Series? It was funny. I was looking at my WeChat feed on Sunday. I was getting these photos and I didn't know what it was about. People were talking about Brian Lara and these people playing a game in India. I just didn't really get it. Was it something to do with that? You're right. I mean, a sellout crowd turned up at the Vankedi 
which is more than India commands these days, to watch Tendulkar, Brian Lara, Virendra Sewak, Shivnarayan Chandapal, Carl Hooper, and then some real nobodies. I hate to say it. I mean, I'm sorry. There's no, there's no other way to describe it. There's one dude who's playing for Ballarat Cricket Club, who's playing, who's batting at number four for West Indies. Boy. <laughs> the Ballarat. That's not your local club, Darren. It's not even in your state, is it, Ballarat Cricket no. Club? No. Anyway. It's all gold mining town. They batted well. Lara, Tendulkar and Shewag all, all, all looked good and uh, drew quite a crowd. And most importantly, gentlemen, the series is there to promote ro- road safety and Maharashtra. Good cause. And I think we can all get behind that. Yeah. We, we totally can get behind that. We can all get behind that. So it's entertainment, isn't it, really? It is entertainment. And, and what is also going to be entertaining, I think, now is, is Toby's promised <laughs> to do some exhaustive research into great moments in cricket drinking. I think we all have some contenders for this. Do we want to maybe provide some of our own and then, Toby, you give us your top three? Yeah, sure. Go for it. I think just to, just to set this up, I think for, for listeners that uh, may remember, I think it was the last podcast we talked about some drink-related hijinks involving the American team. A couple of players showed up drunk for meetings, etc. So we kind of got thinking about other booze-related cricket incidents, and they are they are legion, it has to be said. Or it's quite hard for me to find uh, anything involving a Sri Lanka player, for example, but we'll we'll leave that to one side. But it, there are many. There, yeah, even, I mean, I found one with Wasim Raja, which I, I had not been aware of. I mean, there's certainly fewer. Darren and I, uh, before you joined this podcast and revolutionized it with your presence, Toby, Darren and I actually had a really serious conversation about the evils of, of drinking in cricket. I think this was around the time when Johnny Bairstow was headbutting people and Ben Duckett was pouring pint glasses of beer over Jimmy Anderson and... And we were just, we were at the end of our tether trying to figure all of this out. So yeah, we don't endorse it, but uh, some of it is quite entertaining, you have to say. It is. So shall, shall we, maybe Darren, if you've got any uh, favourites in there, uh, let us know yours before we address the bar and get the last orders. I do remember a quote from Andrew Fintoff saying that drinking turns me into an idiot. I can only have one or two. And I'm pretty sure he said more than one or two on many occasions. My favourite <laughs> drinking story is... We might go into this in detail on another cast. It's David Boone's 52 not out on a plane from Australia to England during the Ashes. It was alleged that he drank 52 cans on the plane. It's been disputed by many players. I actually sat beside Doug Walters at breakfast one morning in Shanghai, and he told the story to me. So maybe, maybe we'll recount that another time, but that's a very interesting story, cricketers and drinking. That's a classic. I had a few off the top of my head. I really like Ricky Ponting's kind of greatest hits from when he was a, a young man. In particular, I think there was an incident in a Calcutta nightclub where he, um, I kind of, I think of it as Zippergate. He, uh, he he tried to attract a young lady by pulling the zipper on his jeans up and down. <laughs> Always works. Yeah, That's yeah, cl- clearly, yeah, we, we, we've all been there. Boogie nights. <laughs> Alan Border pissing in a, in a hotel pool uh, in India. <laughs> I think Andrew Simons is is is, is in the, the 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 Hall of Fame. Oh yes, I did. I did. I think I mentioned the wheelie bin story before. I did find it. It was it was Cardiff when he'd been on a a bender, and apparently he was trying to stretch, and and he he was I think he was stretching with it and using a wheelie bin and knocked it over or something. I remember he was on Channel Nine once, and he said to the um, interviewer that he that he's not an alcoholic. 
he's just a binge drinker. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's why I always tell people. Um, exactly. <laughs> Herschel Gibbs says he was drunk when he scored uh, his his was it a double century in that in that huge? No, it wasn't. It was just a century, I think. No. In the the four three eight. Yeah, well, no, he says he was drunk. He says he was still drunk. Uh, he'd been out all night and hadn't slept. It's the Bearstow head headbutt. There's the Warner punch. I mean, Ben Duckett's pint over Jimmy Anderson, I think, is is quite memorable, given <laughs> given that that's all of us remember about Ben Duckett. In fact, I couldn't even remember his name until you told me it was Ben Duckett. Yeah, a good career epitaph, isn't it? I pulled a pint of mild over Jimmy Anderson's head. It's, he left quite an impression. Now, just one thing I was going to say, is last thing I was going to say is, um, I don't know if, I mean, I've read a lot of these autobiographies of, of English county cricketers from the 80s. You know, Simon Hughes, Derek Pringle, and they're... they're Often really good because these these are guys who gone to good universities and can write quite well, and they're just full of drinking stories. I mean, that just seems to be the kind of lifeblood of English cricket in the eighties. And not only are they full of drinking stories, but Ian Botham figures in around fifty to seventy percent of these stories. <laughs> you know, even if he's not on their team, he's involved somehow or another. He'll pitch up. He's on the opposing team, or he he knows the pub and he'll turn up. There's a great story in Derek Pringle's autobiography which actually doesn't involve uh, Ian Botham where during a county match players rained off for the day they spend the whole day drinking both teams I think it's in Nottingham then they decide they're going to try and cross the River Trent they're going to have a race to cross the River Trent barefoot several of them sustain injuries by stepping on glass I think (laughs) Angus Fraser's brother I can't remember his name who's actually a player he bangs his head and Unfortunately for them, play there's play the next day. They all thought play would be rained off the next day, and yet play resumes the next day. And, and with many of the players in a, in an absolutely terrible position, and this is just one of many stories from that wonderful kind of yeah that sort of sepia tinged era. Yeah, sepia tinged era. I'm just trying to think. It was a sort of a, an odyssey of, of sporting excellence that was county cricket. So those are just some. But Toby, what have you got? Well, ding, 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 it's time of the bar, ladies and gents. I think we wanted to just give a few honourable mentions, sort of lager-soaked mentions to some folks. We've already mentioned Andrew Simons. One of my favourite stories about Mr Simons was uh, not taking the suggestion of a hug and a photo with a fan at Brisbane's Normandby Hotel very well. Uh, Nice quote here. He says, a member of the public acted unreasonably towards me while I was with friends, at which time, and this is cryptic, I took steps to remove myself from the situation, which I, I, I allegedly involved some sort of physical altercation, which is a nice one. He was also hanging out with some Aussie rugby, Aussie league, uh, rugby league players who had just been beaten, actually, in, a, in an international, obviously, were not very friendly towards the public either. Nice one. Jesse Ryder, um, I think most most um, concerning for Mr. Ryder, obviously he was injured quite severely in a, a separate attack involving booze potentially, but this particular one involves the Stock Exchange Bar in Christchurch, where Mr. Ryder broke a window trying to get into a toilet in the said bar. Trying to get in? Yeah, trying to get into the toilet. Had he been bar? Oh, no, he wasn't trying, oh, it wasn't like climbing in the window, he was... I think, no, I don't know. I think he'd been drinking all day. And in the end, his mis- and it was quaintly described, by the way, as a misdemeanour by um, by New Zealand press at the time. But it ended up in a, uh, uh, a skin graft uh, surgery reconstruction on his index finger, um, which don't punch windows, right? That's the, uh, that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, I'd forgotten um, about Jesse Ryder. He's got quite a, uh, quite a role of shame, actually. Quite a rap sheet. 
Party guy. I wonder if they just... Do you think they nicknamed him Sean? It would have been... <laughs> <laughs> He's got too many teeth. It's too many teeth to be compared. And uh, final mention goes to obviously Ben Stokes, very well publicised, uh, booze-related Bristol scrap. But into the top three, and I think my number three in, in sort of three, two, one style, I think will goes to Monty Panasar whilst paying for Sussex. Um, when asked by the Daily Mail, Monty Panasar says, my worst idea, question mark, urinating off a balcony onto a bouncer who'd throw me out of a nightclub. Uh, he's, he starts the anecdote quite nicely by saying his Sussex teammate, Chris Nash, sent him a text just to say, come out for a beer. And God, did they go out for a beer and a vodka and, and much more. In the end, I think he got thrown out of a club and he said the bouncer who'd thrown me out was standing right beneath the balcony of the club. And as I was absolutely hammered, I thought I'd get my revenge by tinkling over the edge. Another bad idea, possibly the worst I've ever had. So Monty in at three. And then at number two, it's got to be the Fredolo uh, involving Andrew Flintoff in St. Lucia 2007. The World Cup wasn't going well for England. And he says at about 1.30 in the morning, he says, I'm hammered here, go home, he says to himself. And he had to walk partially across a beach. And for some reason, he had this idea that there were boats out to sea. And he said, it sounds bizarre, but I knew Ian Botham, there he is again, was on one. And I thought, I'm going to go and have a nightcap with Beefy. He thought, I can't swim, that's going to be dangerous. So I'm going to get into a kayak. So in the end, he can't find a kayak on the beach, so he finds his pedalo. And off he goes to try and find Beefy. Anyway, he said, the next morning I wake up, I'm on my bed, still wet, and there's sand between my toes and Duncan Fletcher at my door. So that's a good number two. And then I think number one, and Darren interject, if I get the detail wrong, we mentioned the the the, the David Boone flight, which I think is uh, it's not a flight of beer, but a flight from Sydney to London um, involving uh, 52, is that correct? 52 cans of beer? Correct. Um, it says Boone's always refused to talk about it, and several teammates were on the flight. Take apparently they were they were keeping score on the back of sick bags, uh, but he downed around fifty two beers and was around twenty two to the good the other side of Singapore. And this beat the previous record holder or holders plural Rod Marsh and Doug Waters, who you, who you mentioned, who had forty four. The difference between those two was they were carried off the flight, and Boone staggered off upright. So I think fair play, hats off. David Boone, you're the winner. He's quite embarrassed by this story, by all accounts. From from what I understand, he he doesn't like it brought up. Yeah, Doug Waters does dispute that. He, he claims that he didn't count any beers that they had in the um in the lounges. <laughs> um, he said he said those were warm up and practice sessions. So that's what that's what he told me. He said so he drank forty four on the actual plane. He claims Booney drank, you know, quite a few on the ground, so that he he claims that he has the record still. Doug Waters. Well, there's a good Dean Dean Jones actually. It's worth watching if you've got absolutely nothing to do. But uh, there's a there's a nice uh, recording of Dean Jones explaining how Bob Simpson at the time was on the upstairs upper deck of the seven four seven, and there was loads of applause when they landed at Heathrow. And Simpson thought it was because everyone was worried that there was a bit of tailwind or something, but it was the fact that Boone had broken this record and that the team were enjoying themselves on the lower deck. So, listeners, um, if you guys have any better or more interesting or even less interesting stories of of drink and cricketers, let us know. And we'd be happy to discuss them at length. We should also maybe do drugs and cricketers, although that might just be Dermot Reeve. I don't know. Chris Lewis. <laughs> Chris Lewis. There's the Pakistani players in the West Indies. That was classic. Shane Warne. Shane Warne. Yeah. I think Beefy's had a Beefy's had yeah. a split or two this time. Phil Tufnell as well. Let's not forget. Um, Alex Hales. There's quite a few. Yeah. 
There is quite a few, actually. Now, now that you mention it, <laughs> that's before we even start on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. Okay, so um, I think that's pretty much everything for this week. Do we want to talk about? Uh, there's a, I mean, there's Muppets and quotes. Uh, Mitchell Stark versus Ben Stokes. Is this is this worthy of comment, gentlemen? Not really. I thought it was quite funny, though. Because as everyone knows, Mitchell Johnson is the worst sledger. He posted something on his Instagram story saying that he thought it was quite funny that, that the England team weren't going to shake hands in Sri Lanka because of the coronavirus, which is kind of sensible. A lot of people are doing that. You know, they're doing the foot tap and not the shaking of the hands as health professionals. You know, they warn you not to touch your hand and touch your face and touch people, right? So fair enough. Mitchell Johnson had an Instagram story. He made fun of it. And he said, ah, ha, ha, better watch out. Stokes, he might punch you. Um, which doesn't really make any sense, and not a, a lot of his sledges don't make any make any sense either. I mean, he was I, I sent you guys around the one where he he says to um, Jimmy Anderson, "What's the matter, mate? Aren't you getting any wickets? You going all quiet?" And then he runs in Jimmy Anderson and bowls uh, the other batsman at the other end um, and turns around to Mitchell Stark and does the shh with the, with the finger on his lips. So anyway, Ben Stokes responded to Mitchell Johnson, and he wasn't very happy about it. And he, of course, he responded with the Barmy Army song. He bowls to the left, he bowls to the right. Um, it's a bit of a stoush on social media between the old war horses. Yeah. I think, I can't imagine Mitchell Johnson would have enjoyed that. Um, he should, he should perhaps. Just shut up. But uh, yeah, but equally, I, I feel like Ben Stokes needs to get a bit better at not responding to everything. Put a sock he, he seems, he seems to yeah. respond to everything. I just, by the way, I did look up the, we mentioned this altercation with Ed, the Ed Sheeran incident. Um, right, where apparently yes. he referred to the spectator as a effing four-eyed c-word yeah oh nice classy yeah very classy man classy before we go just one quote i've got shadab khan don't know if you remember him is he still around he's yeah he's still him. around yeah he's still around pakistan, anyway right? yeah is he still playing for pakistan he's he was such a good bowler at one point he is not worried about lahore calendars figuring out how often he's dismissed their batsman, Fakhar Zaman. And the reason he's not worried is because, as he said, no, they don't use data, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he nice. might well be right. What a sledge. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back again soon. <laughs>